welcome uh, each and every uh, person uh, here this evening for this uh, eight-day uh, retreat uh, uh, together. And unfortunately, at the moment, uh, Shada, the uh, other co-teacher, uh, hasn't arrived. Um, apparently, from what we understand, that uh, the mechanics or engineers on the Northwest Airline have decided to make it a um, mindful and slow uh, walking meditation to in their workplace. We appreciate that initiative, um, but it has left various passengers rather frustrated around the country. And um, um, Shada um, won't be arriving here till perhaps 11 o'clock or midnight thought did have passed my mind. Well, it would be a little rude to start before she comes, but I thought perhaps some of you would prefer to start at 8.30 rather than at 12.30 tonight. So, so uh, to Sally and I to uh, uh, get the retreat uh, uh, underway. I was nearly tempted to say I um, apologize for only two-thirds of the triple gem being here, but that's a little presumptuous. <laughs> <laughs> Sally nods with agreement. <laughs> so I'd like to speak to you a little bit about uh, the background to the retreat, the uh, practice, uh, our days here uh, together, and uh, in terms of the form, the meditations, some of the focus and priorities of our time uh, on the retreat. And firstly, I'd like to uh, uh, introduce uh, Sally uh, to you. And uh, Sally uh, participated in her first retreat, Sally Clough, at uh, the very beginning of the uh, 1980s in uh, India. And for uh, several uh, years, uh, was in the Totnes, uh, helping to initiate and develop the Sharpham community, now the Sharpham College, and was on the uh, committee of uh, Gaia House, and very much contributed significantly in helping things to uh, get underway and flow when we moved to that uh, area in the early part of the 80s. And uh, since then, she has uh, been living on the West Coast and very much involved in the teachings, of course, countless numbers of uh, retreats, long and short, both uh, here at IMS and uh, elsewhere, and also is on the board of directors and was the executive director at Spirit Rock. So Sally, both through practice and years of exposure to teachings and, of course, commitment to service in the Dharma, is certainly one of the senior members of the Sangha. And Shadra and I are very delighted that she has uh, come over this afternoon to uh, teach with us on this uh, eight-day uh, retreat. And uh, she's also uh, married to... Uh, uh, Guy Armstrong, one of the uh, West Coast teachers, and has been uh, married to him, she's telling me, um, for the uh, last uh, 13 years, which is uh, commendable, giving it that it's a good Dharma teacher. So, uh, um, however, I'll <laughs> speak, to you, speak more about the Dharma and the practice here uh, with you, and a little bit about uh, the, the uh, general uh, background. And uh, with the uh, background, of course, it has a very long-standing 
background and we are speaking here in fact of uh, more than a hundred uh, generations, consecutive generations of unbroken practices and teachings and explorations taking place in various environments, in various uh, localities and in various uh, parts of the world. And the forms have changed, uh, of course, but there have been rather environmental ones. So, initially, the, uh, a lot of teachings and practices um, in the time of the Buddha actually took place in parks in various cities. And uh, he quite uh, enjoyed going to parks and uh, people coming and listening to teachings and, uh, and spending time in the, in the parks. And uh, having just come from New York today, I can think of one park there would probably be very useful. And certainly with Hyde Park and other parks around the world. And from there, of course, the jungle, the cave, the desert, all the mountains, all localities for teachings and practices and exposure to the nature. Gradually, the forms began to set in over the centuries to monastic institutions and centers and facilities um, often located uh, quite close to um, towns and, and villages and cities. And so people would gravitate there and some, of course, uh, taking uh, lifelong vows, lifelong commitments to the forms, to the forms. And that's had a, a long-standing and uh, appropriate uh, place and uh, position. But it did, as a number of us will be aware, did, as many forms will do, any form can create its own difficulties and, sepa and separations. And so uh, separations did begin between men and women, between monastic life and lay life. And much discussion and exploration has gone on and still goes on about that. So one has a form called retreat. It's a contemporary uh, Western form with facilities providing opportunity for people to come on a shorter and long-term uh, basis, to be on staff at retreats, to establish a facility, has great benefit, but it has its issues and difficulties as well. And the most common one is, how do I integrate what I learn on retreat into my daily life? That's the kind of question which is common, and many of you who are exposed to the Dharma and the teachings do raise with yourselves, with the Sangha, with other men and women, and with teachers uh, frequently. All that's part of the harsh uh, reality of what we work with. So where there's forms, there are major pluses, great support, major advantages, and there are concerned and questionable areas. This we know, it's called living. And all of that, perhaps, in various ways and means, during the time, the hours and the days that you and I uh, have here, that we have here together, is one of looking in what it is to, to be. And we make use, hopefully wisely and skillfully, of appropriate ways and means to emphasize things which we can get a deep and profound sense of and, and equally important, find the value of in the midst of life, in the midst of daily life. And that is a, a dynamic and sometimes a, a, a tension to find what the understanding is which will stay steady with us 
regardless of the form. Naturally and obviously, in a situation like being here and spending time together, the form, as more than a hundred traditions have acknowledged, is exceptionally conducive. Obviously, it's intended to be silence, nutritious uh, diet, uh, a supportive uh, uh, atmosphere, uh, states of stillness, sustained exposure to teachings, dialogue, communication, and a really focused uh, agenda through the days. It's as much as possible we cooperate together to maximize the opportunity to, for one thing and one thing alone, and that is to enlighten one's life. That's all what it's all about. It's simply about enlightening one's life. And therefore the supportive, uh, conducive conditions are such that they, in a way, do give support, do have a strong track record of giving support to men and women, in order to have a liberated understanding which will do what? Which will transcend the conditions. To have an understanding in life, to have a knowing, a realization in life which will transcend the conditions. In other words, which can and will stay steady with us whether we are on retreat or not on retreat. Whether we are alone or whether we are with others, whether we are in the city or in the countryside, whether we are indoors or whether we are outdoors. Everything's pointing to an enlightened understanding which transcends the conditions. So we bring the conditions together, maximize them, in order for that which is beyond the conditioned. Obviously, but that's the kind of focus. <clears throat> and in uh, coming to spend uh, some uh, days and time here, t here uh, together, uh, one which I think is genuinely respectful of the long-standing uh, past and, more importantly, uh, of the present. It does mean in the, the Dharma Hall here that uh, some of you have a great deal of exposure to uh, teachings and practices and therefore are familiar with the climate, the social climate, in fact, of silence, of meditative awareness, of the importance of the here and now, of seeing into uh, uh, what is and to look at it, to face it sometimes, to work uh, with it, and other resources which are part of Dharma teachings. It's skillful means to enlighten the life. And for others of you, it may be the uh, very first time in your life that you have been on a retreat, been in such an environment, and uh, have been in uh, uh, the kind of forms and been to IMS. In fact, maybe for some of you, it'll be the first time here. And you're... Uh, presence, your arrival here, and the motivations which bring you here um, may be, as with others as well, of course, uh, quite varied. So in that respect, there may be people who have said, oh, you've got to go on a retreat, and in, within a few minutes or hours, one has been wondering, why was that person so keen to get me here? What, what's, 
what's going on with them, uh, etc. Oh, sometimes it's through the uh, uh, literature, as um, um, uh, uh, Sally and I were uh, coming up from uh, Logan Airport uh, late this afternoon. We were both uh, uh, commenting on the um, number of books that uh, uh, teachers are writing uh, these, these, these days. And just in South Devon, where I live, there's um, uh, teachers, and so we thought, oh, we'd highlight some of the books that were uh, uh, writing, and and I thought it'd be perhaps four or five, which are out this year, and it turned out to be about thirteen of the dreadful things, and um, uh, some of us have the certain satisfaction of knowing that we're at the top of the least sellers list, and. But it's a reflection of publishing houses um, um, and what publishers keep uh, telling us is that people want to know what's the practice. It's not just theory. It's not just philosophizing about the way of the world and all the um, output of knowledge and information which you and I are uh, possibly all too familiar with, but it's how can this knowledge and the practices actually be applied? What do we do? What's the way? What's the means? What's skillful? What's workable? And there is, has been a tremendous encouragement. But having said that, and uh, uh, one of the uh, Buddhist magazines um, said that uh, Last year, in the English language alone, there were more than uh, 400 new books about Buddhism, Buddhist practices, Buddhist tradi tradition, Buddhist teachings, uh, uh, etc. It's alarming. And, but it's one thing having those resources and, and some very uh, um, fine uh, books. Some of them are becoming uh, uh, classics in their own right, like Thich Nhat Hanh's Being Peace and Joseph Goldstein's Experience of Insight, they, they standing the test of time as the uh, years go by. And, but, as we all know, it's one thing to read. <laughs> just needs a little education uh, for that. But something else, applying. You know, if, if everybody who'd read one of these Dharma books came on a retreat, we'd need thousands of teachers. Everywhere we'd have to um, close down Harvard and put it to some good use and, and make it a meditation center, which is one of my um, great wishes before the end of my existence. <laughs> and simply because it, it, it went from reading to application. And all credit to uh, each and every person who is here this evening. Yes, I'm interested in what's said. I'm interested in what it means to be in this world. But I want to know through my experience. I don't just want to hear from somebody else. I don't just want to read what somebody else has done or how the he or she is spending his or her life. I want to, from my own experience, I want to see. My own experience, I want to look. From my own experience, I want to know what meditation is, what depth is, is really about. And for that... We need the cushion, we need the stool, we need the chair, we need each other, we need the silence, we need uh, the ways and means. Hence, 
we come on retreat, or we come to an evening group, or we come to a workshop, or we sit at home, because we say, things mean something to me when my experience informs me. My experience, which is the yardstick, the measure of what works. And the tradition, to its everlasting credit, for the most part, acknowledges the importance of, of, of depth of human experience. What do we experience? And in that, the, the day, the communications, and the outflow, in every respect, tries as much as possible to pay respect and, and, and uh, honour and acknowledge our experience when we sit, when we walk, when we listen, when we speak, when we do the, engage in the work period, when we are silent, when we're standing, when, when we're eating, to keep in touch with our experience as a, as a way of knowing authentically. Such as the teaching, it says, every moment of the day is worthy of acknowledgement. Every moment of our day is genuinely worthy of being connected with, because that's our experience, and if we connect with it, we can discover and realize and uncover much. Wonderful teaching. Wonderful. So with the the time, the days that we uh, have here uh, together. And as I said, some of you are uh, very uh, new to all of this. And when you come, sometimes it can be a little alarming. One sees uh, uh, lots of um, um, Buddha images um, uh, uh, around the place. And one thinks, oh my God, ism, with Buddha stuck on the front of it. And, uh, and please, you're not the only ones who have that response, I have it as well. And uh, so I noticed, just when I was talking with Sally, I realized this is 21 years I've been, I have the privilege to come to IMS twice a year, it's 42 two visits, you know, I'm genuinely one of the old farts around here. And when I arrived in my room, the first time in 21 years, I saw this rather large uh, Buddha image. But I also saw this, for the first time too, a rather large glass bowl of, a glass of um, chunk of uh, orange juice and some chocolate biscuits. You know, after 21 years of coming and you find chocolate biscuits and juice in your room and the Buddha image, and the first thought rose in my mind, I know which I prefer. <laughs> but however, sometimes one has to take the pleasures and pains of existence, and there we are. <laughs> So sometimes, as I say, coming into you know, the religious background and, and that, and some people love that and feel very much at home and comfortable with it, and, uh, and it's lovely. And there are, there are others for whom it's not our cup of tea at all, and we're much more concerned uh, with awareness, with meditation, uh, with the teachings of uh, liberation, placing that as the priority, and um, being... Um, Sensitive, of course, to those who like religion and, uh, and the expressions, manifestations of it in terms of religious symbols and images and all that goes uh, with it. And I'm sure in the hall here uh, there are some who lean a little bit more one way and there are others of us who lean a little bit more uh, uh, the other. And uh, that's all part of our own uh, uh, freedom of our awareness, I would say. 
Having uh, said that, the other feature as well, of course, uh, is the timetable itself. And um, before coming here, I was speaking with John, one of the staff uh, members, um, and we were having some, Chad and I might call it negotiation around the timetable. And uh, a little bit of the background uh, to that is um, uh, the staff, with alarming enthusiasm, um, wanted um, uh, like to have breakfast at 6.30 in the morning, so that enables them to do a, a sitting a little bit later. And so there's a bit more of a time gap, I don't want to go into this too much, between, anyway, between breakfast and lunch. Now, uh, Sharda and I have been working together since the mid-1980s, um, come from the more laid-back school. And uh, the laid-back school says breakfast at 7.30. So we just probably spent less than six months discussing this with IMS <laughs> and um, finally found out that there is a middle way. And so breakfast is at 7 o'clock tomorrow. <laughs> and <laughs> so some of you in uh, coming in the period before the uh, breakfast uh, time, um, because of um, length of journey and, and various strikes or whatever it might be, uh, may wish to have some extra uh, sleep and uh, uh, rest, by all means uh, do so. And the breakfast uh, is at 7 o'clock and uh, only at uh, uh, 7 o'clock. And uh, others, good rest and good sleep, may well have some uh, uh, energy. And so the timetable of the day and the first uh, sitting of the day being at 6.15 through till 7 o'clock, and that's a, a silent um, meditation time. Following on from uh, the breakfast time, just, there is the uh, work period, and your help and cooperation with the centre and for staff and everybody is immensely appreciated. We can't emphasise this enough with you. The work period... Um, Practical, of course, in giving support, but in a very realistic way, helps to keep the running costs of the place uh, that much lower. The huge expenses in running facilities like this. We have a you know, sister centre uh, in uh, England, and let's uh, know only too well what things cost to run. And your work and commitment during that period of time, you know, really is part of the service that each and every person gives here. Following on from breakfast each day, there is the instructions, and so tomorrow morning one of us will give as full and as comprehensive meditation instructions as possible. We'll speak to you about working with pain, about tiredness, about restlessness, about using of the breathing, about getting centered and uh, focused, about staying present with, with uh, equanimity and uh, stillness, and working with the dreamy mind or the tired mind or spaced out mind or whatever. All of that will address and tend to in the instructions to tomorrow morning in the sitting posture, in the walking posture, in the standing posture. Yeah. And so each day one of the teachers will be uh, giving instructions, sometimes 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes or so every day. So purpose of that is to keep you as clear and as fully informed as possible with um, the flow and the rhythm uh, of the day, that you know what's taking place that day through your presence in that first sitting after breakfast. Each day we have a number 
of uh, small group uh, meet meetings. They are on a rotational uh, basis and it gives Sally and Sharda and I the opportunity to uh, meet with you, to respond to any questions or concerns that you may have, to ask you uh, questions and therefore to keep uh, as much as possible in touch with your experience and how things are for you and you can ask us anything whatsoever between heaven and earth and both and we'll try to uh, respond. And those small group meetings also serve the purpose of uh, listening to what other people's experiences are and uh, just that sense of uh, we're all in this thing of living together. Uh, each evening there is uh, a talk and the talk generally lasts for about uh, 40 minutes or so, 40-45 uh, minutes. Some of the themes which are touched upon in the evening talks are drawing very directly of course from, your, uh, from the day, from the practices, from the experiences and so don't be surprised from time to time if we're uh, drawing on some of the areas of interest and concern and we're endeavouring to expand on that with regard to the uh, evening talk, all pointing to and hopefully making a direct contribution to the awakening of life, to the true awakening and the steadfast awakening of one's existence. Yeah. This is the general flow uh, of the day and at this time in the evening uh, uh, Sally will speak to you and there's a bit about the silence, the ethical uh, guidelines and a little bit with regard to the meditation and the practice and we'll have a, a ten minutes of meditation. But since I know John was, I think, was speaking to you before, maybe you have two or three minutes to uh, stretch the legs for uh, uh, two or three minutes and then I'll give a ring on the non-existent gong and, um, uh, and then uh, Sally will speak to you. It's, it's been moved, is it? Well, the last time I was in this hall was at the end of the 96 three-month retreat after six weeks of metta practice. So it's going to take quite a bit of a mind shift for me to sit up here and be looking this way instead of sitting out there and looking up here. So please excuse me if I stumble occasionally. It's quite a shift, as I'm sure you can imagine, to change roles. I almost automatically go into yogi mind and yogi space when I walk here. Oh, can I go in the staff room? This is exciting. Wow. And as Christopher said, uh, my first retreat was back in the early 80s, and my first retreat was with Goenkaji, and my second retreat was with Christopher G in Bodh Gaya. And it made a profound influence on me, and uh, he was my teacher for many years and still is, and it's quite an honor to be sitting next to him. So, so I'd just like to talk a little bit about the basics of the retreat, some of the practicalities. For those of you that have been on retreat before, you know that we hold these retreats in silence. And silence is really a wonderful gift that we can give to ourselves and to each other. It's a way of being very much with our own process and really reducing the interaction that we have with others so that we can stay as much in tune with what's going on as we can. And this extends to both reading and writing. So to really take this time to be with ourselves as simply as possible and not to be looking 
for lots of entertainment, not to be using the bulletin board as sort of a very slow-moving television screen that you can tune into every now and then or every time you walk by, but really just to look at it when necessary, enthralling as it becomes after a few days. So really to, to, to make a commitment to that, to make a commitment to silence in, in all its forms, um, as I said, both reading and writing and verbal communication. Obviously some communication is necessary during your work period or to speak with the staff, managers or the teachers. Um, but apart from that, to use this time as much as possible to be with oneself very simply and very quietly. The other form that we take on to really make a container, a safe container for the, this retreat of the precepts. There are five precepts that really guide our life here together in this community that we form as the retreat goes on. And the five, the precepts are, the first one is not harming any living being. To really be conscious of all of those beings around us, both large and small, and to treat them with compassion and kindness. The second is to not take that which is not given, to really be conscious of all that IMS offers freely and conscious of what's not on offer, what's not there for your, you to take. The third precept is to refrain from sexual misconduct in the context of retreat, not too many opportunities, but just to refrain from, from using our sexuality in any way that could harm or distract or hurt another person, especially here on the retreat. Fourth precept is that of right speech. And again, in the context of the retreat, we take that to be the noble silence, the silence that we offer ourselves and everyone else here on the retreat. And the fifth precept is to re refrain from taking intoxicants that lead to heedlessness or carelessness. So just to keep these in mind as guidelines that, as I say, will make a safe container for all of us here, a way that we can be together, the hundred or so more of us in this space here at IMS, that we can be together safely with compassion and harmony. So we'll just sit very shortly for about 10 minutes um, just to get a little taste, just to get us started. As Christopher said, knowing that you've probably all had long days of getting here, um, traveling, finishing up things. I know I certainly did. I was up at 4 a.m. this morning, California time. So. so finding that position where the back can be erect, so the energy can flow, but where there's ease and comfort in the body, where there's a sense of really being connected to the ground of the knees or the feet, being firmly connected and grounded. The body is erect, yet always sitting with that sense of ease and relaxation, so there's no strain or tension. perhaps taking a few deeper breaths, just to bring the energy and the awareness into the body. Being aware of your whole body as it sits here. A field of energy a field for exploration, 
the field for insight. Letting go as much as possible of thoughts of past and future, of planning, of remembering, of the busyness of the day, and coming into the here and now. And as the attention settles, bringing your awareness to the breathing, to the breath, as it moves in and out of the body. Connecting directly with the sensations, the experience of the breath.
connecting directly with each in-breath and each out-breath.
beings be happy. May all beings be peaceful. May all beings live with joy. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.